You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. All right, Luke 15. As we begin, this is the story um, most famously known, in fact, of all the parables that Jesus told, and we're in a series on parables. This may be the most famous of all the parables, the, the parable of all parables, if you will. Um, if you have uh, grew up in church or ever went to church um, as a child and went to a, a Sunday school or a children's program, it's likely you've seen this on a flannel graph, this story played out. And as we begin, I want to, um, I want to show you a, a picture this morning. This is um, a picture of Rembrandt's famous painting called The Prodigal Comes Home. Painted in 1662, and many think this was the last, sort of the last word, if you will, of his life, the, the, the thing that he worked on to the very end of his life. And it's, it's an incredibly moving portrait. The original hangs in uh, St. Petersburg in Russia, in the Armitage. And it is a, it is a place where you... Um, lots of people go, they sit, they um, spend lots of time um, in front of it, contemplating all that is there. So you can't see all of the detail from where you're seated, but later you may decide you want to look this up on the internet and get a little more feel. But I'll orient you to a few things um, that Rembrandt has uh, laid into this picture for us. One of those is immediately your eye is drawn to the man on his knees being embraced by the Father. And you notice the clothes, the contrasting clothes between the Son, uh, that which we know as the prodigal Son and the gracious Father. You notice that his head is shaved, his hair is gone, a sign of humility, but also a sign of he has sunk to the lowest place that he could have gone in his life. One of the other things to notice is that the way the light works in the painting, the light draws your eyes to the hands of the Father on the back of the Son. And interestingly enough, uh, Rembrandt has not painted hands that are in parallel to each other. There is one hand, his left hand, the left hand of the Father. The fingers are spread, the hand is bigger, and it has an appearance of strength, of, of might, if you will. And then you notice the right hand that's also on the back. It's painted smaller. There's a gentleness about it, a compassion. Rembrandt picturing both of these hands of the Father, one of might and one of great tenderness and compassion. The other thing you notice is the man standing uh, there to the right of the scene. And you can barely see his feet because he's in the shadows over there and his hands are clasped around his staff. He's standing up above the scene, looking down, and there's scorn on his face, which probably matches the scorn in his heart. And one of the things you notice is as much as this man is trying to stand on the sh- in the shadows as he peers um, unhappily into the light, the light still shines in his eyes. He knows the truth of the scene that he sees, 
but there is a bitterness that keeps him from stepping into it. Well, there's a few other characters. The man seated is probably a tax collector. We'll look at where those fit into the story. And then there's some, some women, some sinners uh, in the background. It doesn't mean all women are sinners. Um, just those two, I guess. Um, but there's a lot to, to contemplate. There are many that believe that the, the, the son, the elder son, is actually a uh, self-portrait of Rembrandt himself as he struggled his life to come to terms with who God was. And some believe that this painting was part of him, him seeking and working that out. And so I, I commend it to you. If you as, as Lee was instructing us this morning about imagination, it's a great place to go and to, and to dwell upon the truth of this story as um, the Lord would bring to your mind the truths of what we'll hear in His Word this morning. So the story begins, I'll just tell you quickly, it's um, Luke 15. We looked at Matthew 13 over the last several weeks. That's sort of the parable chapter of Matthew. Luke 15 is one of the parable chapters in Luke. And there are three parables that Luke will record Jesus telling one right after the other. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. The second is the parable of the lost coin. And the third is the parable of the lost son, or maybe as we know it, the parable of the prodigal son. But the story, no matter where you begin or what parable you drop into, actually begins in the very two first two verses of Luke chapter 15. So I'm going to read those, and then what I'll do is skip over the other two parables and go straight to verse 11 as we look at the parable of the sons. But Luke begins the scene this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. This is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Scandalous. He tells the parable of the lost sheep found and the lost coin found and the rejoicing in heaven that takes place is a parallel. And then in verse 11, he says this. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And, and so he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living and prodigal living. And when he'd spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. And so, when, when he, so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he'd come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but, but I perish here with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring the best robe. And put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son, he was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother's come home and your father's killed a fatted calf. And because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he said to his father, look, these many years I've served you, never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, uh, who, who came, he who's devoured your property with prostitutes, and you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that's mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead. And is alive. He's lost. And is found. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. This parable begins, if you remember, remember here just a few seconds ago, in verse 11, there's a man had two sons. And already there in verse 11, we're, we're struck with the fact that to just call this the story of the prodigal son, it's not sufficient. Because actually it's a story about two sons. Oh, there's a prodigal there, and, 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 this, and that story has this great ending, but, but that's not the whole of the story. In fact, there are actually two parts of the story. With this stark intermission in between. Well, the first of the story begins, and it's the tone that's set in, the, in that first part of the story, because the younger son appears and he says to the father, you know, in kind of this, this rebellious home. Give me what's mine. I want it now. You know, in that culture, um, for the son to demand that of his father, typically um, inheritances were divided when the father was passed on, when he had died. And in this case, with two brothers, the Old Testament tells us the older brother would have had gotten two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger brother would have gotten a third. But here, the younger brother, he shows up. He's tired of living with the old man. He's tired of doing things his way. He's decided that he would rather for him, his father, to be dead to him and he go ahead and receive what's his right now. That's essentially what he's saying. Because in that culture, for the younger son to demand that his father go ahead right now and relinquish out of his property what is his, is essentially the younger son saying to the father, to me, you are dead. Or I wish you were. Give it to me now, and you'll be done with me. 
Well, the father had several choices. I mean, he could have killed the son right there on the spot for the disobedience and rebellion that he showed. He would have had every right to do that, but he doesn't. In fact, what you see is there's this great patience and grace that the father displays. The word that is used in verse 12 that the son says, hey, give me my portion of the property, give me what's mine, it's the typical, usual word for the word property. But when the father, it says, goes and he um, sells, he divided his property between them, that word for property is not the same word. The word there is actually in the Greek, it's, it's bios, and it's a word we would get biology from. It means life. It essentially is that he went and he divided his life between them. It wasn't just land, and it wasn't just coin, and it, and it wasn't just riches. It was, it was the dividing of his life. He gave, he gave his life to his son. It wouldn't have been easy to do. It's not like you go to the bank or the ATM and you just draw the money out in the ancient Near East. The father would have had to go through the gymnastics of selling a portion of the land. He, he would have diminished what it is that he'd always had. Turns it into cash, gives it to the son because all the son wants is what he can put into a backpack and get out of town as fast as he can. Well, that's shocking. All of it would have been shocking for the hearers. So the son, he goes off to the far country, a country that appears to be outside of the normal Jewish traveling, uh, you know, the travel guide of, of, of the typical Jew in that day. And he goes there, and it says that he began to squander it all. He, in, in reckless living, in this prodigal living, the, the word reckless is a you know, wasteful and, and a tossing your life to the wind. Thomas Huxley said, a man's worst difficulties begin when he is able to do just as he pleases. This younger son will find this out the hard way. Not only does he squander everything, and he does, he's left with nothing, but then just about the same time he uh, ends up empty, there's a severe famine in the land, and now everybody's suffering, and he can't find food, he can't find work, and so what he does is he goes to a man, a foreigner to him, and he hires himself out for anything that he can do. And so this man says, sure, I got something you can do. I need somebody to feed my pigs, which means the man was a Gentile, and he was offering a Jew the absolute lowest, most degrading, humiliating, unclean thing that he could possibly do. And this, and this boy has no choice but to take it because he's starving. Spend some time with the pigs, and you find out in verse 16, he longs to be fed with the pods. It's probably this bitter, thorny root. He's, he, he's so hungry, he desires what the unclean animals might eat, and yet he, he can't get it. He can't satisfy a hunger. He, he comes to the absolute end of himself. Can you imagine the loneliness? That's what the text tells us. There was no one to help him. Well, I'm sure he thought long and hard about it, and to his mind it became clear that he only had one option. I mean, even his father's servants 
had enough bread. In fact, they, they never ran out of bread. His father's servants lived much better than he was living. And so what he decided was, okay, I'm going to rehearse this deal. I'm going to go back to the father. I see what a fool I've been. I have relinquished my right to be a son. I realize that. I have squandered everything to, to my village, to my family, to my father. I am dead. I no longer exist how I used to exist. But I'm going to go back. I didn't know this. I didn't know it then, but I, I see it now. He's a gracious man. He's fair. If I go back, well, with the full admission of my sin, with the, with the full conviction that, look, I was wrong, and I know I'm dead, and I have no right to be a son, I, and I'm not even asking for that. What I'm asking is, would you just bring me on as a hired worker, which there were three levels that a man would have hired. This was the bottom rung. This was the lowest entry job. This was the minimum wage, and he would have just lived in a on the outskirts of the property. There are many scholars that think um, because of the day that when you, when you disgraced your family and your village and yourself and your God the way that this young man had done, that an apology by itself wasn't enough. You, you had to actually make restitution. You actually had to make up for what it is that you had done. And so it could be that what he's asking the father is, listen, I'm not coming back as a son. I have no rights there. I'm just asking, look, would you just hire me? And I'll start at the very bottom, and I'll, just, I'll work whatever I can do. I'll do whatever I have to do, and at least I'll have bread to eat, and then I'll make a little pay, and I'll save that up, and I can begin to pay back. I can begin to pay off the debt that I have incurred. I mean, it won't take care of won't cover all the shame and it, it won't, um, <coughs> won't keep people from talking about me. But maybe I can do something to make restitution. So this is his plan. So he goes back. And before he can even get there, he says he's still a long way off. The father sees him. And now listen, in the Middle East, in the ancient Near East, the father would have never done anything like this. They're dignified. They're landowners. They're the patriarchs of the family. They don't run. Children run. Women run. Young, young men run. Fathers don't run. And they don't show emotion. And yet while he's still a long way off, this father, hikes up his robe and bares his legs and, and tears off down the road for his son. And it says he, he, he embraced him and then literally fell on his neck and began to kiss him. And so it's there, the son can't stand it anymore and he begins his rehearsed speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's right there that the father interrupts him. You know, he never gets to finish his rehearsed speech. And the father says, hey, listen, bring the best robe. Bring a robe quickly, the best one. You know whose robe it would have been if it was the best one? It would have been the father's. And put a ring on his finger. He's being restored as a son and an heir. And put sandals on his feet. No boy of mine's going to walk around barefoot. And besides all that, kill the fatted calf and invite the village. We're going to have a feast and we're going to have dancing and 
If you lived in that day and time, you very rarely would have eaten meat. To have a feast where you killed a fatted calf, you might go to one of these maybe a handful of times in your life. It was that special of an occasion, but why not? His father declares, who was dead has now been made alive again. Let's spare nothing. Well, from there, you're sitting in the play and the musical, and intermission happens. The lights go on, and now you're to get up out of your seat, and you're to go get a Coke and grab some popcorn or mingle around in the lobby for a little bit. And yet hanging in the air is the reality that God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore everything. Any kind of sin, any kind of wrongdoing, it appears to be what the first half of this has said is that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter how you have abused others or yourself. In this moment, you come, you lay yourself before the Father. And the Father's love, not only, listen, not only did He have enough food to spare, there was an abundant amount of grace to spare there. He's embraced, and he's restored. But the story's not over, because in the beginning, you remember, he said, this is a story about two sons. And so the lights begin to blink. You go back in. You file back in. You take your seat. The lights go off, and part two begins. And you find the older son, he was in the field. He was was out in the field. You know what he was doing? Working. Being obedient. Serving the Father, he never left his post. He was doing what good sons do. So he comes in after his hard work, hears the music and the dancing, and wondered, well, it wasn't anything on my calendar about this. I wonder what's happened. And so he asked the servant. The servant says, hey, listen, your brother, he's come back. And the older son would have said, I don't... I don't have a brother. He's dead. He said, no, 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 he's not. He's alive. He's safe and sound. Well, the brother's incensed. Who have nothing to do with that. Are you kidding me? This guy who's gone, and it says in verse 30, he has, he has squandered. It says he has devoured your property. Literally, he's saying to the father, I don't understand this. He's devoured your life. I've served you. I've done everything you've ever asked. I have been obedient. Not once have you even offered me a, a goat to... So my friends and I can have a party. I don't understand this. And I don't approve. And I will have nothing to do with this injustice. You know, the brother has a point in some ways. Because if the son has been, re- if the lost has been re- found and restored to a son and restored to an heir, what that means is that when the father dies, he'll also have, he'll get another one third of what's left. 
And that now comes out of the brother's take. And the fatted calf and all the resources that would have gone to have a party for the village. You know where that came from? That came from the elder brother's account. He squandered his. He, he should get what he deserves. And so should I. That's what he's saying. The father says to him, Son, if you are my son, come in. Come in from the outside. Don't let your bitterness and your rage and your jealousy burn you up out there. Come in and celebrate. We should be glad. He was dead and he's now alive. He was lost and now he's found. Come in. You know what's fascinating about this story? The first two parables, we see joy in heaven. The angels of God rejoicing over the sinner restored. This parable leaves us hanging. We are at the edge of our seats wondering what exactly will the older brother do. The father leaves him outside and the choice is up to him. What we find is that a bitter son is farther from home there on the outside than the prodigal was in a pig pen. There's no love for his father. What this has revealed is that he, he, he has no love for his father and any obedience that he showed towards his father, it was just an act of drudgery. He was working for himself. He was working for what he could get. And like the younger son who all he wanted was what he could get from the father, that's all the older son wants too. And that's been revealed. One takes it and lives this outrageous life of sin, the kinds of sins we could make lists of, the kinds of sins we're told don't participate in, the kinds of sins we know to be sins. And we see yet this good son, this son that's so good and so obedient, he has no list of sins, no wrongs to be righted. And yet we find he is every bit as lost as the one who wandered into the far country. So Jesus is doing a couple of things in this parable. One of the things is this, is where we might think there are categories of good and bad, bad and good. There are two sons, after all. One was bad and one seemed to be good. What we realize is that both <clears throat> are lost. Both need to be found. And the Father will go to both of them. The first of the three parables, the shepherd calls his friends to a party because he found his lost sheep. The woman will call her friends to a party because she found the lost coin. And the father, he's celebrating the recovery of a lost son, and yet the older brother won't join the party. And it begins to dawn on us, who's telling this story and who's present when it's being told? There are sinner and tax collectors there. There's also Pharisees there, the righteous 
One of the things we have to note, though, is that the person that does not appear in this parable who has appeared in the first two parables, and every time we speak about the kingdom, he appears, and that person is Jesus. Jesus is nowhere in this story. He has replaced himself and put the Pharisee in instead. And the older brother becomes a mirror for those who are self-righteous. They won't associate with sinners. They don't understand the Father's heart of mercy. They don't realize that the God of, of all creation has sent His Son to seek and to save that which is lost. Seeks out tax collectors, finds Zacchaeus climbed up into a sycamore tree. He seeks out sinners. He encounters a woman at the well in Samaria who she says, he told me everything I had ever done. You have to come see him. Who in the midst of being hung on a cross and mocked with all shame in terms to one of the thieves being crucified with him. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus is giving us a picture of a father like we have not known. A heavenly father that we might not recognize otherwise. I don't know what the father figure is in your life, but Jesus says, I'll tell you what my father's like. He's rich in grace and boundless in his mercy. And intimate. And he hikes up his road and he runs down the road to embrace you. That's my father. He also spells out the good and the bad and that really there are only two kinds of people. There are sinners and there's Jesus. See, the older brother we find was lost not because of his sinful deeds. He was lost because of his goodness. He thought what he could do was to earn everything he desired through his obedience. He thought he could keep the Father at bay by obeying and doing all that seemed to need to be done, and then the Father would owe him. And so when he sees grace dispensed, he finds himself bitter. One son lost in selfishness, the other lost because of self-righteousness. I'll read this as we conclude. It's from Tim Keller. He wrote this book, The Prodigal God. If you haven't read it, I commend it to you. It's a great book. So there's two ways to be your own Lord and Savior. Just like there's two different ways to get control of the Father's stuff. One, one trying to get control of the Father's stuff, not by not loving the Father, but trying to use the father to get what he wanted. One son tried to control the father's stuff by living a bad life. The other son tried to control the father's stuff by living a very, 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 very good life. 
But two ways to be your own Lord and Savior. There are two ways to try to control God and the people around you and your own life. There are two ways to stay in control. One's by going off into the blue and living any old way you want. The other is being very moral, very religious, reading your Bible, obeying the Ten Commandments, and praying all the time. And he goes on and says, you're avoiding Jesus as your Savior by avoiding sin. You're trying to control God through what you're doing. All your morality and your obedience is a way of getting God to give you what you really want, and it's not God himself. Religious people obey God to get things. Gospel people obey God to get God, to resemble him, to love him, to know him, and to delight in him. You know, the younger brother could only be brought back into the family through the great cost of the older brother. And yet what we find is that this older brother is severely lacking. And the great news is that we have an elder brother who did pay the cost. And for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And on the cross, this son became a servant. The firstborn of the father cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. Because in that moment, he's not being treated as a son so that we could be treated as sons and daughters. He pays the debt that down deep we know we all owe. Yet everything the Father had, everything was his. And yet turns and sets it aside, dies for us, to bring us to life. And the feast that he invites us to, oh, it's the feast we imagined and anticipated this morning to the table of his broken body and his shed blood as he's made a way for you. So this morning to the, to the younger brother, here's what you need to hear. There's a love greater than your sin. If you are here this morning and you're an elder brother, there is a love greater than your goodness. But maybe like many, you're here this morning and you have a little of both. Maybe an elder brother by day and a younger brother by night. No matter. The Father seeks you. Step into the light. Be found. Embraced. Come out of the darkness into His light. And know the Father's love and the joy of the feast that Jesus prepares. Be embraced by His grace. Kissed by His mercy. Lavished with His love. If you would, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I pray this morning and thank You for Your Word.